Are you a young filmmaker looking to gain more exposure for your work? Submit your film to the 14th Annual National Film Festival for Talented Youth, or NIFTY, happening this fall. Meet other emerging filmmakers and creatives and screen your film to an international audience. You could even find yourself featured on a future episode of the NIFTY podcast. Submissions are open now, so head to nffty.org submit today. Presented by Partyfish Media, a showcase of the best emerging filmmakers under the age of 25 from all around the world. Film starts here at Nifty 2019 from Seattle, Washington. Hey everybody, I'm Robert Spiewak, one of the senior programmers of Nifty 2019, and uh, I am joined today by uh, several members of the team behind a film we had in the festival this year, Return to Sender, those in our Lighten Up screening. Um, and so why don't we go, we'll start with Malibu and Aaron, and then we'll go to Joshua. You guys want to just give a quick uh, introduction of yourselves and your roles on the film? Sure, yeah. Hey, I'm Malibu Tates. I was the co-writer and the director of Return to Sender. And I'm Aaron Medry. I played Moira in Return to Sender. And I'm Joshua Vanderlinden. Uh, I was the co-writer and producer of Return to Sender. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for being here and taking some time. Uh, I know we uh, originally did this interview in person at the festival, and we had a hard drive malfunction. So we're do we're doing it again. And I think, um, I don't know, hopefully we'll get into um, all the same interesting questions and conversation that we had when we were in person. Um, <laughs> uh but yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, even better. Um, but yeah, so um, return to sender. Um, uh, either Malibu or Joshua, I guess. Malibu, maybe go first as the director. Um, do you want to just give us kind of a synopsis, a quick rundown of the kind of the plot of the film? You don't have to spoil it, but you know, just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so return to sender is this sort of fantasy adventure film that's. Uh, set in the mailroom of heaven and this clerk who's her first day on the job accidentally mails something down to earth that's not supposed to go there yet and that thing happens to be the meaning of life uh, but the thing is no one exactly knows what the meaning of life is so they have to go back down and get the package back uh, and uh, and that entails meeting the person that it it actually went to which is a dishwasher named bradley and having to get the meaning of life back out of him yeah so it's kind of a fun, fun sort of uh, comedy uh, and uh, in set in a fantastic world. Yeah. Um, jo Joshua, anything to add? Uh, no, I think that was a very good summary. Thank nice. you. I haven't summarized that thing in a long time, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, and so, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned it being kind of fantastical and, and fantasy-driven, um, and so I want to talk a little bit about, first thing, just, you know, where kind of the, the inspirations for this idea came from, and maybe some, you know, just some influences and inspirations that went into it, because it is this very, like, heightened real world afterlife-y subject matter. I'm just curious, you know, what, what inspired uh, a lot of the things that went into this? Yeah, um, for me, it's, the inspiration sort of came from two places. Um, one was kind of like classic films of like the 1930s and 40s. And the other was like mythology of like, particularly like Greek myth, the myth of Prometheus, 
stealing fire from the gods and bringing it down and sort of creating a world where you have a blend of those two things. Uh, yeah, uh, there's, yeah, there's a number of films like The Hudsucker Proxy in Brazil that sort of wants to create our own sort of unique sort of world. Yeah, wow, that's that's great. And so I'm I'm curious, uh, Malibu and I guess and Joshua too. You know how how long was the the writing process for this before you know it got into serious pre production and everything? Yeah, you want to take this one, Josh? <laughs> yeah, well, I uh, this I mean the project started uh, quite a while in advance when Malibu started writing it, um, and it was originally pitched as a. Uh, a project for Crazy Eights uh, Vancouver, and uh, and then we made it into what was it the final twelve for that? Yeah, we did, and yeah. didn't make it through from there, but decided to do it on our own. Um, and probably Malibu and I sat there probably every night for about three months, just <laughs> just writing every day up until shooting. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was that was a really fun <laughs> that was a really fun time. Uh, yeah, we would just be in the lab at Capilano University kind of all night long, just talking it through and pasting around the room and writing draft after draft and, and really imagining things. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Um, and I mean, it, it, it comes off as, you know, a pretty, a pretty honed script. So, I mean, I, I love that. I love when, um, a project gets that chance to really like find its the script get really gets to get fleshed out fully. And so, I mean, I think that that lead time and that just, I don't know, call it gestation period, I think really works well in and it's reflected in the world building here. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I mean the, the production design itself is also just like really, really helps with, um, kind of creating, creating that world. And so, uh, I think to kind of transition into, you know, everything that kind of puts this world of the film together. Um, I'm curious, I'm curious the casting process and everything, cause you've got kind of sev several different kind of groups of characters and, and maybe we can hear from Aaron on this one too. Just like how long was that casting process and finding all the right people for these roles? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did, I think we did four days of casting and I think wow. it was, is that right, Josh? Yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, I think it was like the second day that Aaron came in, and like we still, like we still had to go through with the rest of the editions. But for me, I just knew, like I didn't need to see any more, any more Myra's. I, I knew who it was immediately. But yeah, I saw the audition posting. I think on Vancouver Actors Guide, which is just where that you can host um, independent and student projects. And I saw it was for Capilano, and because I went to Capilano University for acting training. And graduated in 2012 I knew the potential for the quality of the film so I was pretty excited to come up um, for the audition and it was also I remember it was May the 4th and I was wearing my Darth Vader pin for good luck <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Wow. Well, I mean, it worked out. It, it, the dark side, you know, helped you find uh, find some light. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, <laughs> and so the other um, kind of group of actors, I mean, I'm curious in general, but um, so there was the table. There's this table that is the I don't know. I don't know how you refer to them, um, but there's kind of the call them like the council of heaven or something. Yeah, like they're straight straight at the top. 
Um, and so, I mean, what was the casting process? Was it kind of just the same? Um, you just had people come in and audition for them as well? Yeah, so we have like, we have this big boardroom of the universe where these a bunch of old guys are talking about sort of everything and they're the ones who are supposed to be figuring everything out in the in mm-hmm. universe, but they, they're not doing a particularly good job that no one quite understands what it is that they're doing. Uh, but yeah, we, we auditioned them of, during those four days as well. I think initially the plan was to have them like, there was six of them and to have each one represent one of the six days of creation, I think. Uh, oh. So we actually had like separate bios and separate personality traits we wanted to get out of, of each of them. And uh, yeah, found a group of people that really worked well together. Well, that's uh, that's 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 great. I mean, I love when because um, a lot of the times and, and this isn't a fault. I just mention it is that, you know, when when people are making films in college, sometimes, you know, you kind of default to a lot of um, d- just college aged casting. Um, and I mean, it's it's one of those things that just really helps a film feel really full and 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 and, and realistic when there's like a pretty broad age of of people in the film and so i mean and that definitely helps and it makes sense for this that you know all the people figuring it out would be these kind of sage wise sage kind of uh characters i mean take wise with a grain of salt they talking about ostriches and all sorts of stuff but um uh yeah i mean I, I I just generally like really loved how each each location was just so like different and and individual and and starkly contrasted kind of all of the other ones and so um, one of the the first things obviously the first locations we see is this this giant kind of mail room this facility where they're all sorting packages and everything and so I mean either either Malibu or Joshua I, I'm curious how much of that building was like practical and real and i mean it looks like the background goes on forever and uh i'm just like in awe of that location if you could talk a little bit about locking that down or finding it so the the mail itself was shot oh i'll go again for that <laughs> the mail room itself was shot in uh this old canada post building in vancouver and i think it was built in the 1950s and it wasn't in use anymore at, at the time uh, I think they stopped using it in like the early 2000s or something like that. Uh, and right. Right now, people just use it for film sets or did. Um, and uh, when I was pitching for Crazy Eights, which is like a big deal in Vancouver, when it looked like we were getting it, I sort of went in and asked, hey, can we shoot the Crazy Eights in film in here? I just sort of walked in and, and they were nice enough to say yes. And then later on, we didn't get Crazy Eights, but I just came back again and said, hey, can we still film in here? And they, they were just really kind to let us do it. So we were we were sharing the space with some other Netflix show as well at the time. Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon, Derek yeah. McCormick came out of the elevators when we were doing rehearsals and just stood there on his cell phone. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Will and Grace, Will and Grace, my childhood. <laughs> Blew oh, my mind. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so we were really lucky to get that, yeah. Um, and then we... Uh, we were able to extend the uh, the sets based on what was there uh, through map paintings and set extensions, um, wow. which we were very lucky to have some uh, some talented uh, artists to help us out. Um, but I think it all came down to to being real. It all came down to that set being so believable from the start, um, and only using those map paintings through um, just the very key story moments. 
Yeah, I mean, it really it really works though. I mean, that that building and and I mean, obviously, you know, there's matte matte paintings are so sophisticated are way are more sophisticated now and through through actual visual effects than um, necessarily even a practical one. But I mean, it just it just looks so it looks great and it's huge and it's like this big cavernous looking space like uh it just looks it look it really looks the part um and so yeah especially like the inspiration you're talking about from those those older movies when like you know those facilities really on that scale were still really in operation that kind of factory look and everything um and then kind of the other uh locate location I was curious about was I mean there's obviously there's this kind of this hero um where the ele- or the hero location of the elevators that go up to the um to the straight to the top and everything and so was that was that also in that mail building no actually that was in the studio at Capilano that we shot that the the boardroom scene it was actually the same studio that we shot the department of forgetfulness in we just Wow. changed it around and filled it up with fog for for that one yeah that's awesome so i mean so what is that 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 room where the forgetfulness and everything is that like the elevator space into that room too like i'm it, 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 it was so versatile used so versatilely in the film that like i'm just curious what the actual room looks like without fog or without void in it <laughs> yeah it's actually just a big empty studio <laughs> and we just oh doors and, and just filled it up with like ancient pillars and things like that uh to make it look like this place where everything in the universe that's ever been forgotten ends up in that space and is and how can you ever get out of it too if a person ends up down there which sort of happens in the film wow yeah i mean that's amazing and 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 that's such a that's such an interesting uh way to portray that to just kind of this big cloudy fog of of just random things and and everything it's kind of like i don't know in my brain i pictured it like you know like a what it feels like when you're trying to remember something like that's such a like awesome uh way to style that so kudos that looked it looked great Um, that's actually the very first scene that we shot as well with with aaron and zach yeah interesting um, so Aaron, was that challenging? I mean, that's kind of like one of the really emotionally turbulent scenes in the film is this, uh, her finding the busboy, um, in, uh, the department of forgetfulness. Like, what was that like being the first thing you jump right into? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was, the pressure was definitely on to, to get it and get it quickly because every second we were in the room, um, we were slowly losing smoke. Yeah, so that's right. We had, oh. Yeah, they'd turn on smoke machines. Okay, turn them off because they're loud. And they'd have the, the PAs all fanning it. And they're like, okay, let's go for a tank. Let's go. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of performance-wise and connection, it was a lot easier than if I'd been on a regular set because the smoke actually blurred out the cameras. So it really did feel like it was just me and Zach, the actor who plays Brandon, um yeah in the space so it was uh pretty easy to reach down and and be in the moment that's really cool wow. I think about that mm-hmm. part. yeah i couldn't even see anybody else there exactly uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's 
Uh, that's amazing because I mean I mean and I know that that's one of the things that um, that can be really challenging as an actor is having to act and e- either like say you're on a green screen where you just don't have anything to really play off of or um, or you're in like an intimate situation and the, there's just a giant like camera right you know a foot and a half from your face and so um, I'm sure that that fog being so you know just fold just rolled into that room. Um, just did really, really help you forget that the camera was even there. Absolutely. We know about that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so one of the other things I'm kind of curious about is how, because um, it seems like this is a world that, you know, is so creatively built out and everything. Um, I'm, was there anything from, like, the script that didn't make it into the final cut, or was there anything, like, that was unplanned for that, you know, on set um, came up that was just, like, uh, oh, this is this is great to include, even though it wasn't you know originally planned for. Like, was there anything like that, Malibu and Joshua? I don't know, but I'm I'm curious if you know there's a lot of anything that was unused at all. Yeah, that's a good one. I remember in the script writing, there was a it took a lot of different went in a lot of different directions, exploring a lot of different places in the world before we sort of narrowed down the specific places that we were going to journey to. Um, yeah. In in terms of of stuff that came up on the day that do you did you recall anything, Josh? Uh, well, you know what, like when we were trying to figure out uh, what to write in here, because this was such a vast story and because it could go anywhere. There was a department of forgetfulness. There was this magical mailroom. Uh, we would take these long walks for hours, just out in the middle of the mountains, and we would go through it, we'd go through every possible. Well, maybe they go here. Maybe they go here. And actually, as much as you had so much creative freedom to go anywhere, it was really hard to pin down exactly where to go. I think at one point in the story, we had, instead of the Department of Forgetfulness, we had a a bike hooked up to a machine. Big machine. And biking around uh, the person with this brain control device on him to make him forget while this bike went around. And it was... I'm glad we didn't go with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Crazy, absurd things like that that uh, I guess luckily didn't end up making the cut. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, another one that all the old guys w- went around Bradley, the dishwasher, and did this like this chant and this dance to make him forget things as well. Yeah. Oh I also recall um, the very last scene when oh, Moira yeah. and Bradley, yeah. uh, you know, the story's ending, it's like, what's going to happen now? Um, we That was all improvised. It was, yeah. I think you, you wrote something, but you were like, let's see where this goes. Um, and I, every time I watch it, there's this one moment when Bradley takes off his um, dishwashing apron and just throws it. Yeah. And um, I react and I go, whoa, whoa. And I watch him throw it. I think it hit a tree or something. Um, and just, <laughs> it's a really uh, organic moment of surprise. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that. I was really nice ending the film that way because we didn't know what the last thing was that the characters were going to say. I'm not to spoil anything at all, but we, yeah, just uh, just sort of let Aaron and Zach take that and see where it would go because it was nice. That was also the very last thing that we shot, the very last shot of the film. So, yeah. Wow, I love that. I love that. Um, and so, kind of as we uh, as we get closer to ra- ramping up and everything, um, one of the questions that I have for because this is specifically kind of like this 
um, heightened reality fantasy film. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have any advice for filmmakers that like, you know, want, want to do fantasy, but feel that it's like, um, you know, not feasible from a budget perspective or, you know, they're struggling with, um, even just like cre- creative ways to, to do something that, you know, feels doable and is, feels fantastical at the same time. Like, do you, do you guys think you have any advice for like a filmmaker that watches this and wants to do something similar or also really enjoys fantasy, like how they can, uh, just, you know, not bite off more than they can chew. I, I think that part of it is figuring out how to hint at a larger world, uh, that you how to hit, just show a piece of something because a person's imagination mm. will fill in a larger world much grander than you can than even the big budget films can do. Like some of my favorites, like sci-fi films or like fantasy films, are some of the really old ones where like you can only you have to keep a static shot on this matte painting, but the matte painting looks just the most beautiful thing ever. The films where you you have to that you can't fig- you can't do everything. You have to figure out how just the very small specific things you can tell to hint at a larger world. Uh, yeah, and I think um, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's there's sort of a balance of, of figuring figuring that out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I love that. I love that um, sh- when short films can kind of serve as like a, a, a teaser for you know what else could be or or something like that where it's, it's just like a sample um and then i mean that obviously you know some some filmmakers have the want to take a short film and eventually make it into a feature and it's like their their proof of concept and so i mean i think that that's um that's great advice yeah thank you thank you for so much for sharing that um and so uh yeah as we're uh, about out of time here um if we want to go in order or as, as people do have something to share, like, is there anything that you're working on now that, you know, people um, who are fans of Return to Sender can look forward to? Okay. So yeah, we, um, since Return to Sender, um, Josh and I have worked on another film, which he edited and I wrote and directed called The Substitute. So Return to Sender was initially a Crazy Eights pitch that, that didn't go through, but, but we did successfully make a Crazy Eights film uh, just finished last month, uh, which is kind of another sort of, fantasy adventure film yeah about a substitute teacher who discovers that the person she's subbing for is stealing all of these ancient cursed artifacts and and he comes back to the class with them and she's got a protector class but they just think she's super boring uh so yeah that's sort of uh, another adventure film that we've worked on um and uh yeah would this would this be a good place to mention leitmotif pictures josh yeah you go ahead yeah so uh josh and i and also uh and uh, David Mora Perea, who's also worked on uh, Return to Sender, we're sort of putting together a, a production company called Leitmotif Pictures, where uh, we want to be creating more films of this kind, but films of all different kinds, because a leitmotif um, musically is like this recurring melody, but it can appear in all different kinds of ways and all different sorts of uh rhythms and, and harmonies and everything, but it's all still connected to a larger theme, to a larger grand symphony sort of idea. So that's the idea with leitmotif pictures. We want to make films of all different genres, um, but still have them all uh, be connected. And uh, yeah. I don't have too much on the horizon right now. There's a film I did called Davy the Hero that's in post-production, should be coming out so soon. Um, it is totally quite different from Return to Sender, and it's a bit, um, a bit more adult 
themed, uh, but look out for that. You can follow me on Instagram at muddy underscore Monday. Muddy is in the stuff that is mud. Um, yeah, this would be um, this would be a great time. Anybody, if you've got you know website Vimeo or social media um, to share for people to be able to you know follow you and keep up keep up to date with what uh, what you got going on. So uh, Malibu or Joshua, got anything to share? Yeah, mine would be the Lightmotif stuff, which Josh would know than the word the links for those actually are. Do you want to go for it? Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know I didn't get a chance to speak, but uh, this past year I've been working on a I've directed a film called Off World. Uh, which is currently about to go going through festivals, um, but that'll be connected through our Leitmotif, uh, through Leitmotif Pictures as well. So if you want to uh, check that out, it's uh, sci-fi and other pushing the boundaries uh, in terms of production design and stuff. Um, that'll be available on uh, our website and everything uh, very soon as well. Um, so take a look at Leitmotif Pictures. I think we're on Facebook, Instagram, on the website, and yeah. And is it lightmotifpictures.com or lightmotifpictures.ca? Uh, lightmotifpictures.com. Awesome. Um, Great. There was one other thing that I remember at the um, in the in-person interview. I, I remember just at the very end, again, just to mention this, uh, just to sort of thank the people who were involved in the orchestra who put together Return to Sender. Oh. Um, yeah, the, the score to, to it. Um, so yeah, if, if I if I can just say like um, uh, one of the one of the most exciting things about making Return to Center was being able to sort of put together the orchestral score, which I and my brother Jericho Tates wrote with the help of uh, sort of a composing mentor Dennis Colpitz, who uh, is part of the Okanagan Symphony Orchestra, and got a whole bunch of the players to come out. So that was really exciting to sort of in a short film to have a score that was all real instruments and to have that sort of orchestral level recording uh, there. So just a big thanks to all of them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that was the, one of the other things that really stood out is kind of, it's got this big, like flourishing intro of everything. And the, yeah, the score was, is definitely one of the kind of the big character building world building pieces of, of the film too. That's a good, that's a good note. Good thing to make sure it stays included. Um, well, uh, that'll about do it for us, everybody. And so I just want to say thank you all again for um, coming and doing the interview again um, and just making some time to uh, chat with us. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and thank you for listening. For more information on Nifty 2019, The Talented Youth, and more emerging filmmakers, check out nifty.org, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at NFFTY or on Instagram at Nifty Film. And for more podcasts from Partyfish Media, search Partyfish Media wherever you listen to podcasts or follow us on social media at Partyfish Media. Party Fish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.